If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Andrea Riedel-Carrison. Now, Andrea's been on before. Have a look at or have a listen to episode number 250 so you can find out a little bit more about Andrea. And Andrea today is going to talk to us about 10 tips for preparing for a veterinary surgeon visit. How are you, Andrea? I'm good, thank you, Glennis. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Andrea, these 10 tips for preparing for a vet visit, just give us a little bit of a background in why you chose this subject. Well, I'm a qualified veterinary nurse specialising mm-hmm. in the equine veterinary side of things. After I qualified as a vet nurse, I went on and did the equine specialty part of vet nursing. And as a vet nurse over the years, I've seen what can happen during a vet visit. Sure. And also as an equestrian coach, I get a lot of parents who are totally non-horsey and um, their children want to ride and all of a sudden they've got to deal with something slightly larger than a dog that has um, unique ailments to the um, breed or um, so forth. So it was quite interesting for me to combine that with my coaching and my veterinary nursing studies. Good, good. Okay, so the first tip we've got today is to have a well-secured examination area. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. A lot of people, as we know, have a paddock, which is where they keep their horse, and um, that's about all they do have. Um, Now, things like um, if the vet needs to drench that horse or um, inject that horse or or simply to um, restrain it somewhat to check certain things out like an old cut or a current cut, something like that. It's really important to have a well-secured examination area. Um, Pre-purchase examinations and lameness examinations need to be conducted obviously in a flat, um, well-lit and secure area, preferably under weather in winter if you live in Mount Gambier, as I do. (laughs) And, you know, owners may have to look at pre-booking an area or a property or an indoor arena that would have an appropriate area for the vet um, to do that examination. Okay. Um, or even the vet clinics often have examination areas that are that are okay to use. Mm-hmm. Thinking a bit about a case study or, or your experience, what's been the worst area that a vet has found himself in that, you know, you probably wouldn't wish on any vet? Have you got a bit of a story there or something about that? Yes. Look, there's been many times where you're called, often it's emergency situations, not yes. so much just a general examination that's pre-planned, but those emergency situations where owners have found a horse in a fence or the horse is no longer in the fence, but it's, you know, they often tend to strip their hind legs down, you know, often... 
people work, so in winter it's it's coming in dark, nobody can see anything, the vet needs to sedate the horse, the going if it's in the middle of winter can be slippery if the horse needs to be um, sedated so much that it, it's on the ground so that the vet can adequately stitch and bandage that injury then the horse trying to get up in those situations is very dangerous to everybody including the person that's trying to hold the horse um wire fences they can stagger around you know when they get up they're just not going to get up and be able to walk properly they they get up and they're they're quite staggering for Mm. quite some time and you know trying to steer 600 kilos of semi-unconscious horse away from a wire fence (laughs) It can be really a scary situation for everybody in the dark. So we tend to suggest that, look, if your horse is badly cut and you can float it, you're better off to take it to the vet clinic or somewhere where it's undercover, well-lit, safe flooring, um, because it, it can be extremely unsafe out in the middle of a paddock in the dark and wet. It's just, you know, plus you get in the infection in the wounds while they're trying to struggle to get up and there's stitches that are trying not to burst and, yeah, it can get a little bit hairy. Yep, yep. Can we go on and talk about flooring then? Because you said flooring, and I know you've mentioned as number two the rubber flooring. So would you like to talk about that? Because it's more recent that we see a lot more rubber flooring. You know, traditionally it's sort of, you know, shavings or straw or something like that. But the rubber flooring, would you like to talk about it? Certainly. That's right. In the old days, Glennis, it was just cement. And and a lot of us were lucky if we had cement, to be honest. Mm. But these days, there's quite a range of flooring that is available. And um, even the stables now where horses um, are kept overnight or during the day, those floors tend to be rubber now. You can get a spray on rubber um, or you can get old conveyor belt, which is quite a good... um, idea you can cut that to size and of course you can leave gaps in between it so you can allow a little bit of drainage and often um, you need the rubber with holes in it um, underneath the rubber that's got no holes in it with a small gap in between because that allows for drainage and sometimes you want to hose the area off but you know I've I've had a horse that um, walked into my wash bay and just got a little bit anxious because there was a drain in the middle of the hole just went totally stiff a bit like a dog on lino really some <laughs> dogs don't cope at all well yes. and he just simply fell over mm. he just simply fell over just because he went so rigid because he was so anxious he just couldn't function and um he fell over you know luckily nothing happened but definitely flooring is mandatory i think if you've got a horse especially if you're going to sedate it or um even some horses putting twitches on, they can get really, really anxious and injecting those old thoroughbreds can be a little tricky. Yep, yep, <laughs> they get a little yep. bit of a needle phobia. Yes. So it, it's it's safe for everybody. Um, horses can fall over quite easily. People don't, you know, ever and think they worry, horses don't fall they? Over. The horses worry they when they fall over. They do worry. They do worry. And it is exactly like seeing a dog on lino. When you see those yes. dogs go totally rigid and then they try to hurry off that lino and they just fall over and that's very much like a horse does. It's a little bit, I think, like a horse scrambling in a float that they just get um, braced and rigid and can't seem to balance and, and they will simply just fall over. It's just quite amazing really mm-hmm. when they do that. But they can be standing and then all of a sudden they're just on the floor. Yep, yep, yep. So flooring is a good idea for, you know, 
injury or anything like that as well if they do happen to fall over. All right. Now, you talked about a well-lit area. You know, when we're talking about the secure area, you talked a little bit there about lighting, but talk about a well-lit area and what type of examinations especially need that well-lit area. Yes, well, a well-lit area, um, obviously, it makes the vet's job a lot easier. Considering things like eye examinations, where you need to maybe shine a light in that horse's eye and then take it away, you need to see the reaction to that. Often horses will get a foreign body in their eye or um, grass seeds, things like that. Trying to remove a grass seed with a jiggy horse, um, even if you've put local anaesthetic drops in that horse's eye, can tend to be fraught with danger. Um, the danger being that the instrument you're trying to remove the foreign body with um, if the horse moves, can then also go into the eye. So it's really important that it's, you know, well lit. Um, the vet knows exactly what they're doing. Also things like suturing faces and heads and ears, um, you know, those stitches need to be really, really fine. Often the suture material is so fine you can, you can barely see it. So those fine stitching jobs where... Even if the vet would be removing a sarcoid or a wart that's badly placed that the bridle might be rubbing on, those things it's really important that the examination is very, very well lit so you can do you know, the best job possible for your owner, of course. Okay, good, good. Now, and you talked earlier about what most people have, you know, just out in the paddock somewhere, which is often fine if, you know, there's a bit of shelter or trees or something, but it's often away from power. And electricity. So why would we need electricity near the examination area? Well, electricity is something that a lot of people don't think about when they find a paddock and pop their horse in there. But, um, for example, if the vet needs to use clippers to clip up an injury or maybe to even give a horse a needle into the vein, in the middle of winter those horses are quite hairy. And power is essential in that scenario where you need, if you don't have battery clippers or rechargeable clippers, you need power so you can clip that jugular because there is a lot of drugs that are terribly toxic if they don't go into the vein. They can cause all sorts of drama. I mean, then on the other end of your spectrum, you've got drugs that should never go into the vein and cause equal as many dramas if they go into the vein. Mm-hmm. But... You know, clipping up the neck, being able to see those veins clearly, even drenching in the middle of winter, making sure that tube is going into the correct, um, you know, not into the lungs and going into the stomach to give a, uh, a worm drench or a sand drench. When you're dealing with hairy ponies, it's nearly impossible to see if that tube is going into the correct spot. Mm-hmm. Clipping up of old wounds, you know, if you need to debride a wound, which sounds terrible, but often horses get what's called proud flesh and those wounds need to be cleaned up, clipped up, often scraped back with scalpels and re-bandaged. And then, of course, you've got the other um, interesting, I guess, scenario where you want to scan a horse, be it its tendon or an internal scan to see if it's a mare that you want to get in foal where it's at in the point of its cycle. Electricity is definitely needed for that scenario as well so that you can do those scans and see what's going on. Yep, yep. 
Okay. Now, we talked about the rubber flooring and the secure exam area, rubber flooring. What if it's a lameness examination and we need to trot the horse up? What sort of area do we need that just to make sure the horse isn't, we can see any lameness? Yes, well, that it's essential that it is a flat area because any sort of undulation or um, slope on that area will obviously change the horse's gait, whether it's a gait that needs to be checked because a horse is brushing, which is when their legs swing incorrectly in the motion of the paces and they will hit the other leg, um, which sometimes causes some lameness or it causes a slight disruption in the rhythm of the pace. Definitely needs to be on a flat area. Um, And lameness examinations are done often with what's called a flexion test Mm -hmm. where the vet will hold that horse's leg up and they're often done on all four legs and they will hold that horse's leg up and they'll often flex or put a little bit of pressure on the joint that they're checking. So they'll start at the bottom of the foot and work up. So often it's the pastern or the fetlock that's put under some pressure and that, that horse's leg up is held up and flexed with a little pressure, not a huge amount, but a little bit of pressure on that joint for up to a minute to two minutes. And then the person that's holding that horse needs to trot that horse smartly away from the vet in a straight line for at least 20 metres and then quietly come back to walk and and turn around and, and then often they need to trot back or they will walk back and then that process is repeated on all four legs and sometimes on two and three joints of each leg. So it is quite a lengthy process. Um, Horses that aren't quite right are probably the hardest horses to diagnose because they can be often a little bit sticky in their paces trotting away after a flexion test on all legs. I as yet have never had a horse that's vet checked um, clean on his flexion test. There's all been, always been either one leg or whatever that's been a little bit of tightness there in that joint. And um, normally it's a pre-purchase examination when someone is interested in a horse, the vet will do this examination. And then if there is a, a lameness problem detected in that flexion test on during that examination on that large 20 metre minimum area, um, then they would look into doing x-rays, which would then be when you need your rubber flooring and your electricity and it's well lit. So each one sort of leads into the other. I mean, these things that we're going through, it's not just one, it's all 10, isn't it? And if we've got yes, the 10, then, then we're really definitely. prepared. Yeah, yeah yes. prepared for anything. Okay. Now, what about the unbroken horses, the ones that haven't had a lot of handling, the ones that aren't just going to quietly stand there for a minute or two to do a flexion test, trot up and then come back and repeat the process a few times? What should we do there? Well, firstly, I mean, going back to our number one, a well-secured examination area, often these youngsters haven't seen people a lot, Mm -hmm. haven't been exposed to people a lot, and they're often the ones that, you know, get stuck in a fence or poke something in their eye. So often you need to get them from the large paddock into that well-secured area with your rubber flooring to even try and put a halter or a head collar on them to start with. But, of course, if there's an issue with their soundness and the vet needs to see them move, 
they're not going to happily trot up and back after, a, you know, being led. They've probably only been caught three or four times in their life. So a round yard is really handy for those um, examinations, for those unbroken or even some horses, a lot of them have never really been taught to lunge. So, of course, that um, round yard or area that the vet is doing the examination needs once again to be flat and non-slip um, to give really the horse a fair chance to be able to quietly and steadily um, keeping their balance as, as good as they can around so the vet can do that, you know, appropriate examination for whatever problem it would be. Yep, yep, okay. All right. Now we talked sort of about the area. You've gone through the well-secured area, so the horse can't just take off. It's got to be a secured area. You've talked about the rubber flooring. It has to be well lit. There should be electricity nearby. We're looking for a large, flat, non-slip surface area for trotting up, for sort of getting the horse moving, but also for the younger unbroken horses around yard. What about then, what else do we need? We've sort of talked about the area. What else have you got that we need we should have available for the vet? Yes. Well, look, clean water available is also a really essential thing. Often vets are going from job to job. Mm -hmm. For example, if your vet's going to come and tube your horse, whatever product they're using to tube your horse, and it can be a a variety of things. It can be paraffin oil, it can be a worm drench, it can be um, psyllium. A lot of vets like to do psyllium. So there's a lot of things that go through those tubes. Now, each time that vet visits, that tube is not a standalone tube for your horse. It needs to be cleaned and cleaned thoroughly. Psyllium gets stuck in the tube. So fresh water is pretty important for a vet to have obviously in winter hot would be lovely um you know or even the teeth gear um they've come to do your horse that gear would have been clean when they arrived but they've done your horse and then that gear needs to be cleaned and scrubbed before that vet goes on to the next job because they often don't return to the surgery to get that sterilization process done so they need to use a sterile scrub product to get those um, instruments as sanitary as possible. It's a bit like, you know, the stitching job. Um, Often vets carry what they call a surgical kit, um, but once that's open, that's no longer sterile. So they need to sterilise that with a solution prior to going on to their next job. Um, Often vets don't go back to the clinic for the whole day. They will do a round. Um, You know, and and also the process of them becoming sterile from visit to visit. They don't want to look at a horse with a cold at 9 o'clock in the morning and then infect every other visit throughout the day because they haven't had adequate, you know, place to clean their hands or wash their hands. And look, they do have hand sanitizers and they do have gloves, but that nice hot and cold water is essential a little bit to... um, the vet themselves, but also if they need to scrub a wound prior to surgery, that needs to be done to sterilise that that area. And um, often water, the only water people have often is in the trough. So if you know that your vet's coming, you know, even if you just take a couple of thermoses of boiling water and a nice bucket of clean water, at least you know that's fresh and clean and can be used to sterilise whatever that vet needs. So that's pretty important. Mm -hmm. Um, 
as far as restraining horses without drugs, this is a little bit tricky. Um, the twitch is the most often used restraint for horses. Some horses cannot abide a twitch at all. Um, it is something I teach my horses to get used to. Um, and sometimes it's absolutely imperative with eye examinations or something like that, that that horse's head cannot move. Um, so if you can get your horse used to having a twitch on and you don't have to, you know, put it on that it's as tight as absolutely possible. It needs to be on firmly so that it doesn't slip and you just need to get your horses used to it. You know, they just have to get mine are all really good to twitch because I've made it part of my training process that they get used to that and that's just part of something they have to get used to having done because most of my horses I deal with by myself and I don't have that extra set of hands, which is my number nine. <laughs> number nine, um, yes. Yes, number nine is um, that extra set of hands. Now, very horsey people would find that a bit of a weird one to put down as a um, fairly important point, but... I do do a lot of teaching and I do a lot of teaching of children whose parents are totally non-horsey. And often in the veterinary world, you um, the vet will come, the vet will diagnose, the vet will leave you with some drugs and then the vet will leave. And that vet often will give you instructions to keep giving penicillin for the next week or to clean up a wound and re-bandage it every three days. And for those non-horsey parents, they get quite pale. <laughs> and and it is it is quite difficult them, for them to take on a lot of information for an animal that they're not au fait with. And it's really important, I think, in situations like that, that they get an extra set of hands, a horsey person if possible, just to be there to help hold things, take down that information. Often owners get an information overload with vets. Nobody ever writes anything down. Um, you know, often there's not a situation to be able to write things down. Um, so it's really important that that extra person can hold things, hold the horse, and just generally help the owner. Sometimes even if there's bad news to be given to that owner, it doesn't hurt to have an, a friend or someone there um, to be there to, to, you know, help that person deal with that situation. Yep, yep. Okay, now that's good. So I am just want to, before we get on to, although I suppose number 10 is a bit of a facility thing as well. Yeah, yeah, maybe we could talk about number 10 before we do a bit of a sum up, yeah. Yes. Now, I wasn't sure if to put a crush in or not. It's It's one of those situations where, if a horse is not used to a crush, it's not going to cope always with a crush. Mm -hmm. If a horse has never been in a float before, it's not really going to be able to manage in a crush. So it's it's got to be a real professional call by the owner of the horse and the vet if they decide to use a crush. And for whatever, often vets won't do any scanning of mares without a crush and you can't blame them when they're down the, right on the target area at the back of that mare doing a scan. Sure. Um, 
So it, it really is important for the owner to get their horse comfortable with standing in quite a close area. Now, that's not a box-like area, but it is quite a narrow area and, you know, those horses need to just learn to stand there. Now, that is often done with their float training, small periods of getting on a float, standing on there for 10 minutes, coming off, often with a companion animal. And often a crush is best used with mares if they've got foals at foot with the foal standing in front of that mare. And a lot of studs have crushes that have a small yard at the front of it where the babies can stand while the mothers are getting examined because they're often got foals on them if they're getting back in foal. And to try and separate a mare and a foal is, just creates total mayhem. The mare will be trying to climb out of the crush, the foal's trying to climb out of the box, the vet's trying to do an examination, the poor owner's trying to hold it. It just turns into one very dangerous situation. So it, I was a bit tentative about putting crush, but they are fantastic if you've got a horse that's used to them. It's a great form of restraint without sedation. And often, if the horse can be a little bit anxious about it, if you've trained them with the twitch, you can use the twitch in conjunction with the crush. But it does make the vet's job and the owner's job obviously so much safer if that horse is completely restrained within that small area. But like I said, horses can get a bit panic-stricken. Some horses are quite claustrophobic. Um, so you just have to be a little bit careful about that one. And I was a little hesitant about popping that one down, but it is a fantastic thing to use if your horse is used to it and often most people don't have them so very often vet clinics have a have a crush that is available at their facility for owners to use yes yeah if you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor or even if you aspire to be one have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the horse chats website go there now have a look horsechats.com so that's great tips too for people who are thinking about building some sort of an equine facility. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we've got one is the well-secured area, so somewhere that the horse can't get away. Two was the rubber flooring, and I really like the, the spray-on rubber, you know, because you talked about the concrete and the rubber, but to have spray-on rubber I think is good as well, yeah. Yes. Number three was the well-lit area. And then number four, electricity, in case we need it for any examinations, you know, or clipping or scanning, anything like that. Yes. Then the, the large, flat, non-slip surface area where horses can get a flexion test and trot up or be seen for lamenesses or, you know, any other sorts of things. That's right. That's right. And that's often not rubber, but it's an indoor, you know, like a, a proper riding surface. Mm -hmm. That doesn't need to be rubber, but a, not a riding surface, which would be used in an outdoor arena or an indoor arena, they're often non-slip. Um, so that's perfect. Yep. Yep. And then we talked about the round yards for lunging the young horses. So that was number six. Yeah. Yes. And then after, we did talk about the twitch, which was number seven, for the horse being used for needles or to restrain. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then number eight was the, having the clean water available. And you talked about the, you know, the possibility of a horse coming or the vet coming to visit a horse, you know, at nine o'clock and they want to get cleaned up for the next horse and the next horse, but also if they visit a horse with a cold or yeah, that's you know, right. something they don't want to exactly. spread that. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, number nine was the extra set of hands, preferably someone that's got horse experience and to have that follow-up with giving injection, dressing wounds or something. And number 10, a crush. So I think, yes. Yeah, you've covered quite a lot there, I think, Andrea. Something for people to think about. And to prepare for the vet's visit is going to make the vet a lot happier to come back and, and oh, visit again. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, working in the veterinary industry with vets, and we are going to get vets coming straight out of uni that may not be horsey. Mm. And if they're trying to deal with a 600-kilo animal in an open paddock with a non-horsey owner, it is just a recipe for disaster. Nobody ends up happy. (laughs) The owners or the vets. (laughs) Or the horse. Or the horse. The vets can't do uh, a professional job. The owners are always disappointed with the job the vet does because he didn't do what they wanted to do because he couldn't make the horse stand still enough to do the job and the horse ends up being terribly stressed. Not managed if it's a wound, the wound's not managed as adequately as it should be or the horse never ended up getting drenched or, you know, it can just, it it really can turn into a situation where everybody walks away disappointed. Yes. So I think it's really important if if owners know in a non-emergency situation, if they can hire or find an area or a property that has adequate things, that if it doesn't go perfect, which it often doesn't with working with children and animals, they also as fraught with danger, um, and I work with both. <laughs> if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Um, at least it gives everybody a chance to do their jobs and get things done for the owners. Yep, yep, yep. No, I think that's good. I think obviously coming from a voice of experience, Andrea. Andrea, if people would like to contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can. um, Our mobile service here for calls is dreadful, but I'm more than happy for them to text me and I can call them back on my landline. So I have a a landline um, which is 08 87268202, a mobile of 0417 849754, or my email address is craig full stop, carison at bigpond.com or I also have Messenger. We're all very au fait with Messenger now, so I'm on Messenger, so um, I'm not very good at computer <laughs> things. That would be the least experience, uh, um, you know, that I have. And I guess what number 11 should have been is have your mobile phone in case everything goes badly, really. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> which, sure. Which yeah. these days we don't ever live without. I don't know how we ever survived, really, without <laughs> them now. But, um, yeah, they, they are quite important because often you need to call for backup in those yep. moments that haven't gone that well. But, yes, that was my, my top 10, yeah. you know, I'm sure you could keep adding to that list too. But oh, yeah. It's a bit never-ending. We'll have to get you back and go on, you know, with some other things in a bit more detail. Yes. That'd be really good. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Andrea, thanks for your time and um, hopefully everyone's got some great tips out of that and we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you and I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. 
If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 